0: As you use more data science and AI driven campaigns, there becomes a question about, hey, how does this retailer or brand know what I'm interested in, right? And that goes into the area of explainability where, hey, you're getting this message because of reasons X, Y, and Z. And if you're explaining it, it becomes possible to, one, build their confidence and then drive retention through it, right? So I think retailers and brands will have to figure out how to make sure that not only are they making it explicit when it comes to collecting data, which I think a lot of folks are ahead of, but then second, being able to have uh, explainability around why they're recommending certain products or services or communications. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito.
1: During these times, brands and retailers have been fighting to get as close to the customer as possible, not just to be able to engage with them, but also enable those purchase decisions. That's why we've been seeing some really fascinating evolution in the DTC or direct-to-consumer space. CPG brands like Pepsi are even unveiling their own commerce-driven experiences in order to satisfy customer needs. So I wanted to dig into what the future of DTC really looks like. How will these new trends or realities impact DTC brands' partnerships with retailers what role they'll play in stores, online, and so much more. So I wanted to sit down with Faiz Mahamoud, who is the co-founder and CEO of BlueCore, but is also founder of the DTC Collective, a new organization to provide guidance, opportunities for collaboration, and knowledge around the world of DTC. So, we kind of got into the nitty gritty details around what's happening in the space, his predictions on what's going to happen in the future, and how new rules and regulations around data collection and use will impact the future of the category. So, with that, I hope this inspires some new thinking around what DTC means and potentially how your business can embrace it. Thanks so much for taking the time out. Great to have you on the show.
0: Alicia, thank you for having me. I'm excited about this.
1: Yeah, we have a lot to get into. But first, I always like our guests to give a bit of an introduction. I feel like I can only do so much justice into the work that you do. So why don't you share a little bit about you and most of all the work that you do in retail?
0: Happy to. I'm Fai's co-founder and CEO at Blue Core. I have been running this company since founding it about seven years ago. And we are a retail-specific marketing platform. We work with brands like Sephora, Express, Tommy Hilfiger, and 400 other brands. And what we do is we make it possible for these companies to discover their best customers and retain them for life. And we do that through building technology that allows them to analyze customer data and, uh, most importantly, the product catalog data. What products are customers interested in? What is the propensity of customers to engage with those products and a whole bunch of questions that we help them answer using their data for ultimately the purpose of driving more revenue and more importantly, retaining them for the long haul. A little bit about the company, we're about 240 employees globally, uh, and I live in Brooklyn, New York.
1: Ah, fellow East Coaster. I'm in Jersey myself, so uh, good good to have you. Sad we couldn't be in the same space, but times are what they are. But I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of the Topics and trends that I'm sure are are so central to the work that you do at BlueCore. I mean, especially with the shift to e-com that we're seeing, really exciting changes and trends happening right now. I think we'll get into them, but largely through the lens of some new work that you're doing, a new initiative. You're the founder of, or one of the founders of the DTC Collective, which was the heart of the reason why I wanted to have you on the show to learn more about this. So give us a scoop. What is the DTC Collective and why do you believe this was something that was really needed in the industry right now?
0: Yeah. So per my earlier note, we have spent the last seven years working with retailers to build technology that improved their business outcomes and We've done a ton of work on that front, but in the digital space, even before COVID, there's been a lot of massive shifts that have been happening around uh, privacy, as one example, which is really great for the customer with uh, the advent of GDPR in Europe and then uh, the California Privacy Act. There is a massive shift with Google announcing the end of third-party cookies, as another example, and these have massive implications, and they are either driven by regulations by the government or by technology providers. And it felt that there were retailers that were trying to determine the best way to go about accomplishing their mission as it relates to their customers. And we figured that there needed to be a collective that could one idea and share thoughts and hopefully over time become an influence where we get a chance to think ahead of time versus being reactive. Because all of these trends, while they're great for the customer, have massive implications for these businesses at large. So that was the intent uh, with which we started. Obviously, with uh, COVID uh, coming upon us faster and harder than anything else that we could foresee, we quickly shifted to making sure that this was a community where folks could share ideas around uh, how they could lead the shift to digital and e-com.
1: Oh, it's excellent. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting tug of war that I'm sure that a lot of marketers are dealing with. Because on one side, consumers expect those relevant experiences, especially, you know, if we're gonna be spending more time online, we're trying to close that gap of like those face-to-face interactions, right? Like that feeling like I know you and like we we understand each other and we can communicate and connect, that's gonna move online, right? And part of achieving that requires data or insight, right? But on the other hand, Consumers are more and more savvy into how their data is being used, which leads to a lot of conversations around transparency into those practices, what's ethical data use. It's a whole rabbit hole, so definitely understand the need there. I do want to dig deeper into the evolution of the DTC space because I know just in our coverage of it, it's evolved pretty significantly. Casper, Dollar Shave Club, like those types of brands really come to mind when I hear DTC, but a lot of changes since even those companies have come to the forefront. So, would love your take on where DTC is today. What are some of the key trends that the retail executives listening right now really need to know about it?
0: Yeah, you bring up a very important point there with DTC and how it was defined. A few years ago and how retailers at large are defining it today because when you think about the caspers the dollar shave clubs uh, as you mentioned i think about the warby parkers and the glossiers in addition to that there were two characteristics i think that made them unique one was that they started digitally, they were native digitally, and there was a question of, hey, are these brands only going to be digital and they're direct to consumer because they're digital? And then the second aspect of it was that they had a direct relationship with the consumer. And as a result of that, they could innovate on product significantly faster because you're getting consumer feedback, not just from somebody using a product, but from the top of the funnel with them on your website and mobile. I think over time, that definition has broadened, and I believe that DTC is more of a mindset right now when it comes to being omnipresent with the consumer. Uh, you're seeing this with the digitally native folks that now believe that they have to be in-store, perhaps for very different reasons than the traditional retailer. And then you're seeing other retailers that are traditional, especially through COVID, adapting a direct-to-consumer mindset because you can't necessarily go in stores, right? Uh, That includes the standalone brands, but that also includes a lot of the traditional brands in categories like CPG that are going, hey, I need to go direct to the consumer because I've traditionally sold through the big grocery chains or the big department stores. So I think in some ways they're converging because at the end of the day, it's all about the customer and the customer wants to be met anywhere. And the question then becomes, how do you curate a set of products and experiences for them, right? And in that world... What is the role of the store and what is the role of digital? They're converging pretty fast. They're not distinct channels. And DTC is not necessarily one brand versus another. It's an approach that can be seen inside of the organization. It's an approach that can be seen from the types of technology they use. And it's an approach you can see from how rapidly they take feedback from customers to innovate on their products.
1: Oh, it's fascinating. I love that you noted that it's a mindset, not necessarily... Characteristics of the business, you know, where they the way they do things, the way they design their customer experiences. Because what I'm kind of noticing now, especially now that we're seeing, like you said, CPG brands kind of building their own DTC experiences. Some are going into subscription programs, trying to bundle and curate those products to kind of make that customer experience a bit more enjoyable, a bit more seamless, especially as our lives are increasingly getting more and more complicated. It seems like the opportunities and in turn, the use cases are expanding for like what DTC really means. So I guess my question for you is, what does that mean for the future of the category in and of itself? Are we going to see more brands start to envision what that DTC experience looks like for them? Are we going to see other businesses try and redefine DTC? I mean, what do you think? I mean, I think a lot of things are kind of up in the air now, but based on what you're seeing from a trend perspective, how do you expect DTC to continue to evolve as we all try to figure out this new normal or next normal or whatever you want to call it?
0: Yeah, I think you mentioned seeing things being up in the air, but I think that we're seeing convergence happen potentially faster. I remember seeing this diagram a year or two ago, where you had Procter and Gamble and all the brands that they had, and then overlaying the different digitally native DTC brands that were sort of going after each one of the products, like you know Tide, Oral B, and all of that, right? And there were like hundreds of companies, each individually building products that compete with Procter & Gamble and Johnson & Johnson and so forth. And today you're seeing, I remember that Pepsi recently, they started their D2C destinations where you can buy a bunch of their products directly and they launched it in weeks, right? Yeah. So I do think that CPG brands have always had a customer-centric mindset. Now, they necessarily didn't own the relationship the relationship directly with the customer, even though they had a lot of brand awareness and brand loyalty, so I think what it means for the future of the category is that you're going to see them in all the other channels. I always question why can't I buy my favorite brands wherever I am, whether that's Pinterest, whether that's Instagram, whether that's Facebook or the other destinations like Venmo or PayPal, where you go in with a transaction-oriented mindset. I think that that's where the world's headed.
1: Excellent. And since we're talking about predictions or the future of the DTC collective um, recently released a new report around the forever change consumer and what this all DTC world looks like. Um, Do you want to dig into some of those key findings? I'm sure some of it we've already talked about at a high level, but I'm sure there are more nitty gritty, you know, tactical things that we need to get into. So what were some of the things you found?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple of things that are very objective and metrics oriented that sound obvious, but it's always reaffirming to see that in data. For example, mobile went for a lot of our brands from perhaps single digits or low double digits to high or mid double digits overnight. So that's happened really fast and it's staying there. When it comes to the role of the store, there's obviously the question of when stores are going to reopen in different geographies. But more importantly, if this is going to be an extended recovery, what is the role of the store going to be? The role of the store in apparel used to be how do I get fitted? But that may necessarily not be something consumers are into, even when things reopen, right? For health and beauty, it was, again, about getting products uh, tried out, right? So there's a ton of thinking going around, even if there's no conclusions quite yet on what the role of the store is. I think internally, when it comes to operations, I think the speed at which digital organizations had to adapt showed that data needs to be democratized in these organizations. So There's a lot of work going around. How do you make data accessible to the people that need it the most when it comes to executing marketing campaigns, when it comes to understanding insights about what customers want at any given point in time? And then finally, with the traditional brands that have historically depended on offline retail, we're seeing that they have to adopt a digital first mindset. Again, this goes back to where Digital first or direct consumer mindset is less about thinking about channels, store versus online and thinking about where the customer is. So it's just interesting to see that a lot of these conversations that we knew would come true over time are happening rapidly inside of these organizations in a very objective way.
1: Yeah, the one word that has really been coming up a lot is acceleration, right? Like you said, trends that are being talked about today aren't necessarily vastly different than what we've been talking about, but the pace at which they have evolved or have become table stakes versus an area of differentiation. That's what's, I think, really throwing a lot of companies for a loop now, which I guess kind of ties back into where are brands getting stuck right now? Is it the fact that a lot of things are still evolving so quickly? Is it the volatility of the situation where they don't know what the store experience looks like or how many stores they'll keep open or what e-com demand looks like? A lot of uncertainties, right? So is that where people are getting stuck? And if so, how can teams start to build a plan or develop a strategy that is still flexible enough that allows them to be agile? Because that's another thing that we've been hearing a lot about, giving teams the flexibility to put a plan in place, but be able to pivot quickly.
0: Yes, I think one of the interesting things about what you said is retail has always been a very resilient category. It's undergone so much change. And if you think about going to the roots of retail, in many ways, it's been such an adaptable Industry going back to what did a retailer do every day? They woke up, thought about their merchandise. What merchandise should I put in front of the store versus in the middle of the store versus in the back, based on whether it's seasons or trends or what was moving versus what's not, and then look at your results at the end of the day and do it all over again. Right? It was never a static industry when it came to the speed at with which they needed to adapt on a day to day basis. So it's inspiring in many ways to see how nimble many large organizations have been, even through massive restructuring. In terms of challenges and pain points, obviously not knowing when certain geographies open up is is a huge challenge. So that's a little bit outside of everyone's control. But the other challenges are rapidly adapting to consumer behavior. We're seeing customers, some of the large department luxury department stores where their majority of their products used to be In uh, formal outerwear or luxury goods, suddenly switch into loungewear or health and beauty products. How do you adapt rapidly to that and serve that customer when she needs very different products and services from you? So, there's challenges around how do you adapt to understanding your customer quickly and using data to guide your decisions and your marketing activations? That's one. I think the other one is everyone's going after revenue and just trying to keep top line up, but that's coming at the cost of profits especially when you have high cost of acquisition online. So figuring out what type of engagement is actually not just driving revenue, but also going to drive you margins is going to become critical. And then there's a lot of new buyers. There's brands that are seeing first-time buyers that have never engaged with them before, right? which is awesome, but it's equally important to determine how to retain them before they become inactive because acquiring new customers can generate revenue, but it's really retaining them that generates profits. So those are challenges that are still not figured out yet. But I think we're going to see acceleration towards using data, data science and technology to solve those in the very near future.
1: Yeah. And I definitely do want to get into that because again, I think the nuance there is so fascinating and you live live and breathe this space every day. So I'm sure you have some interesting perspectives, but first I do want to kind of get to the opportunity or even the realities for the more traditional retailers, you know, the executives that may be listening from, say, you know, the Targets or the Walmarts of the world, because we've seen more and more retailers start to build relationships with these DTC brands, putting them in their stores, making them available on their e-commerce sites or their marketplaces. And in some cases, that, that kind of stems off into, you know, building their own private label brands and products. What should the traditional retailers listening be thinking about as they start to figure out where their place is in this like DTC Worlds, Like, do you think more weight should be put behind those partnerships and they should try and build out, like, this ecosystem, so to speak, of, like, just giving the customer what they want? And the space, like, is kind of fuzzy right now. So I'm interested to hear if you have a particular viewpoint as far as what the traditional retail executives should be thinking about right now.
0: In terms of uh, traditional retail, going back to the notion of what's the, what's the role of a store? which is one part of it, but retailers also have a digital footprint. I think everyone has to think really hard about what your value proposition is way more than just getting access to a product because the solution to this is not whether it's the retailer or the D2C brand because there's a brand and there's many different avenues for the consumer to experience that brand. And one of them could be a retailer. Another one could be the brand's own website. It could be any of the social media channels as well. But when you think about a retailer like Best Buy did a phenomenal job sort of really focusing on the customer. That was supposed to be a category that Amazon destroyed and really took over. But that has not been the case, even looking at Best Buy's results as of recently, because they really figured out the role of Best Buy in the electronics world by focusing on uh, customer service through Geek Squad, figuring out how to get expert advice that you really can get on other sites, including the Amazons of the world. And I think you're sort of seeing customers think of Best Buy as not just a place to just buy electronics, but to get something more than that. You will see companies like Foot Locker. Again, you could buy sneakers from anywhere, but that's why, that's not why you go to Foot Locker. They've really cultivated a brand around the culture of sneakers and really catering to that segment. And they're figuring out how to lean in there. Again, this is all part of their public strategy. So I think You're seeing examples of retailers that are really thinking about how to stay close to the customer and provide a value proposition that is much bigger than the product. And if you have that, you can be extremely successful and folks will come back to you. And if you don't, it just makes sense to go direct to the place where you get a transactional experience. But I think the traditional retailers have a much bigger store, a much bigger role to play than that, albeit in a very different way than it is today.
1: Very interesting. And then I do want to dig into your mentions earlier around customer acquisition is critical, but really retaining the customer is what drives those results in the long term, right? And we've always been talking about the cost per acquisition versus the cost of retention and how data and personalization really help not just form the relationships but keep the relationships with the customers so coming back around to your points earlier around new data regulations and requirements and how brands have really had to rethink their approaches when it comes to building that trust what new realities do brands and retailers have to be thinking about what best practices really come to light to help them achieve this level of retention that's required to generate le- revenue in the long term while still ticking those new data regulation boxes, so to speak?
0: Yeah, I think customers are okay with using data as long as they have transparency on a, how is the data collected and then second, giving transparency or explainability into what it's being used for. And there's a few different trends that are driving this. One is the customer demanding more privacy in in certain markets. And then second, with things like third-party cookies that are on their way out. Third-party cookies used to be a primary driver for acquiring new customers that you necessarily didn't know about, and it still drives a majority of the advertising ecosystem. And with that, sort of coming to a close on the major platforms, you really have to think about how you're going to get ahead of first-party data and then bringing your customers alongside that journey. So I think that's number one, making it very clear, because as long as the customer knows that you are collecting it for a specific reason, like driving more relevancy and curation, you're okay. And you can see that very strongly in opt-in channels like email or SMS, where You can measure it and be objective about it. I think the second part of it is also connecting the dots. As you use more data science and AI driven campaigns, there becomes a question about hey, how does this retailer or brand know what I'm interested in, right? And that goes into the area of explainability where, hey, you're getting this message because of reasons X, Y, and Z. And if you're explaining it, it becomes possible to. One, build their confidence and then drive retention through it, right? So I think retailers and brands will have to figure out how to make sure that not only are they making it explicit when it comes to collecting data, which I think a lot of folks are ahead of, but then second, being able to have uh, explainability around why they're recommending certain products or services or communications.
1: Yeah, so a lot around that transparency Topic And I also think there's something to the value exchange, right? Like, if you're asking me for all of this information and you're still giving me batch and blast emails and, you know, recommendations that aren't relevant to me, I'm going to be like, why are you even asking for my information in the first place? So I think that's that misalignment in the value exchange that a lot of shoppers experience. I mean, I could imagine that if you experience that only so many times that that frustration is going to mount.
0: That's right. And if you think about, you, you mentioned something very astute there, because that relationship on the value exchange for a lot of retailers starts lopsided to begin with, right? which is give me your contact information in exchange for an offer, because that's the only lever that most retailers use to get somebody on board. And that has roots all the way back to the offline world where it's like, hey, do you want to buy this product with an in-store credit card in exchange, you get some discount or an offer to make it appealing versus there's a lot more possibilities today in terms of, hey, how about you know using it for curation? How about using it to help you discover products that you've never seen before? Because once you get that value proposition right, the lifetime value sort of sticks along with it. And if you don't, it becomes really hard to get the consumer to truly appreciate the value, the inherent value in your product uh, without always needing a promotion. So in some ways, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy around the promotion spiral.
1: And then I do want to get deeper into the fact that so many DTC brands have been applauded for their, not just their understanding of their customer base, but also how they have been able to use data and use digital channels especially to adapt and learn, test and learn, fail fast, I mean, whatever way you you prefer to explain it. But that data is really the cornerstone of what drives not just their marketing and their customer engagement, but even new product development. And I feel like now, especially agility and adaptability are more and more ingrained in conversations, even among the most legacy retailers. So, I mean, just based on your experience working with retailers, your conversations with DTC players, even, are there any lessons or takeaways for the folks listening that maybe want to be it a bit more risky, you know, take more risks, use data to guide the way, so to speak. Because again, I I feel like that cultural element of like the fear of dot, dot, dot (laughs) is still holding people back in some respects. So any lessons or takeaways there?
0: There are lessons from other industries when it comes to becoming more agile. Most relevantly, when you think about software development that used to happen in a way that was very waterfall in a world where software was licensed or a company designed a product, produced it, and then you bought, it was distributed on uh, either hard media or even digitally, and then you didn't get an update for a while, right? And today you're seeing that same philosophy being applied or the transformation in that philosophy on being iterative and thinking about progress, not perfection being applied in many different industries, including like automobiles, where you now get updates on software, which is the majority of your product. So I think In retail, which traditionally has been a very waterfall-oriented structure when it comes to either building product or building marketing or brand campaigns, we're seeing a ton of change there because it's being guided by data. Now, this goes back to the DTC mindset because being agile and having a direct consumer mindset, it's similar in many aspects. And what you're seeing is In order to truly be agile, you need to democratize access to data. I think that a lot of organizations have data trapped in one or two teams with people that have very specific skill sets. It's just like how computing used to be reserved for a few experts who were programmers back in the day. And really democratizing that power is what led to tremendous productivity and as a result of that, business growth. So we're seeing. That at least as it's relevant to data in retail, the key to unlocking agility is to democratize data and give it to folks who are at the edge of the organization and closest to customers. Those folks could be marketers who are deploying campaigns, they could be people who are in stores if your stores are open and you need up to date information about how to make things more relevant to the customer. It could be data available at the right places in the buying cycle so that your supply chain can be active and you're never out of stock with products, right? Some retailers are proud when they're out of stock. You should never be out of stock if you can predict demand, right? So it's really about democratizing data.
1: Great point. So before we close things out, and this has been such an insightful conversation, thank you so much again for taking the time. I do want to get into the long-term impact of DTC. We've kind of been talking about this off and on throughout our conversation that customer behaviors are still evolving and there will be an ongoing shift to digital, but we don't know what that looks like, what the numbers are. You know, that's kind of the way it is right now. But I want to get your perspective on what customer behaviors will extend beyond this current stage that we're in and how you think consumers reliance on digital and DTC brands specifically. You were talking about how consumers are are trying new DTC brands to fulfill immediate needs. So how do you think this will change or evolve as we get into the coming months, whether it be three months, six months, even beyond that? I mean, what what do you think is going to stick?
0: Yeah, this one's uh, really interesting to uh, and fun to think about because you're seeing behaviors that you thought would be transient. And now you start to wonder, well, I'm not so sure that's transient because some of the experiences are here to stay. And if I can take a step back outside of DTC and retail, I attended uh, my first virtual engagement party and there's virtual weddings that are going to happen soon. And I wonder if there's always going to be streaming links for weddings going forward. You're seeing in automobiles, I read a prediction recently that in the next 12 months, over 70% of car dealerships are going to have an add to cart and a purchase button and uh, buying something like a car online will become uh, something that is more more of a common habit. Groceries have been online, but there's a whole new generation of customers that are going to experience it. And if you stick with it for a few months, it's questionable whether you'll go back all the way. So it's really interesting to see some of these habits that'll be around for a while. Oh yeah, and then uh, one more example, I was seeing my co-founder's daughter the other day. She was up looking at toys online and it was like, that's the way they're going to experience retail, right? Uh, there's no difference between, or even a concept of whether that I'm going to go into a store versus not. It's about do I get access to the products that I'm interested and excited about. So I think there's so much that will stay, especially when it comes to speed, convenience, and price, because ultimately those are the three things that consumers will always care about. And if I can get my products faster, so I can get it more conveniently through curation and personalization online. And if I can get the right price for it where the value seems convenient enough, I'm confident with the value exchange. I think some of those behaviors are not going back at all.
1: Yeah. So to the end, I do want to ask about what you think the future of Brick and mortar will be for DTC specifically, because I know, you know, we saw the Warby Parkers of the world who, after being online for so long, were saying, okay, well, we need stores to ensure that we're as close to the customer as possible and they can experience the brand in different ways. Do you foresee that those lease agreements are going to be rethought? Are we going to see more of a shift to short term leases and pop ups, you know, kind of going back to basics in a way for DTC, especially because so many retailers are struggling to maintain this extremely large store footprint that they have?
0: Yeah, and I think uh, to answer your question on uh, the folks that have historically been called DTC, you're seeing a tale of two stories in markets like New York, like San Francisco, and others where you have a large digitally-enabled consumer, you can acquire them digitally. But there's parts of the country where, in order to acquire customers, having an offline footprint has shown to be, at least in the near term, more cost-effective. Now, that is very likely changing, especially right now, because you're seeing these D2C brands that historically had to compete on offline channels now really starting to thrive and acquiring customers in, in areas that they haven't before. So I think that used to be a challenge, and not so much anymore, at least right now. For the traditional folks, you're seeing experiments. Microsoft has this thing called the Industry Experience Center, where they want you to experience their products, even if you're not transacting. I know Nike recently talked about uh, Nike Rise in China, where you have a digitally enabled journey, according to them, and uh, they sort of blend their products and real-time sports moments in in particular cities so uh, again you're seeing these investments where retailers are thinking about the store as experiential and i think that is where the world will be headed when you have traditional brands that you can transact products online and when you have d2c folks it's really not about just opening stores to acquire customers versus really having them experience your products and retaining them in the long run.
1: Great advice. Well, this has been a really insightful conversation. I think there are going to be so many new opportunities and even success stories to kind of come out of this time that we're in because people are not just learning so much, learning so much about this new consumer, their mindsets, their preferences, but also are learning about what new role their business is going to play. So thank you so much for all the great takeaways, your perspectives on what's happening, not just in DTC, but in retail in general. Before I let you go, any closing thoughts or takeaways that you want to share with our listeners, especially as we start to think about Q4, Holiday, and, and even beyond?
0: Yeah, this is what we're calling the going to be the first digitally led holiday season across the globe. So number one is being present where your customers want to shop and thinking about making that easier, making that transaction path and the experience easier. And then the second is holidays are always a great time to acquire new customers. And that's going to be the case even more so this year. So figuring out how to double down on the customers that have staying power and getting that second and third purchase is going to be key for uh, long-term profitability. So I think there's a tremendous opportunity and we're seeing retailers really gear up and embrace this even through the challenging times. So we're excited about what's ahead.
1: Wonderful, flies. Well, thanks again so much for taking the time. Definitely a space to watch and we'll make sure that we include some details on not just BlueCore, but the DTC Collective so folks have easy access, especially to that report. Again, thank you so much for taking the time out. Really enjoyed the chat.
0: Thank you, Alicia appreciate your time as well.
1: And of course, as always, thanks everyone out there for listening. If you have any feedback on today's episode or if you have an idea for a topic that you want us to dig into on the show, please feel free to uh, drop us a line on social media. We're most active on Twitter at rtouchpoints. Of course, if you have not subscribed to the show and you want to get an alert when new episodes are available, you can subscribe to us on your preferred podcast player. As always, we appreciate you checking out the show and taking the time to sit in on these candid conversations with retail executives and uh, tech experts. Thanks again, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.